Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Sorry You're In My Seat, a weekly podcast that unites best friends on a quest to find the greatest movies of all time. I'm your host, Aaron, and this week I'm talking movies and films with my best buddy, James. Hello there. Perfected that intro now. Mate, you are a master of many things. Don't need multiple takes. No, not going to throw you under the bus. Just straight in. Great, mate. And it's because we've been doing this this series for now, for over 140 episodes now. Really need a new hobby. No, this is it, mate. You want we've talked about some of the greats last week. We did Rocky. Oh. Week before that, we did Ghostbusters. Almost, you know, like we've got a certain special for the eighties. Ooh, that might come up later. That's a nice segue. It, it was. We're not exclusive to the eighties, but no, no, we, no, no, we, we, we did more combat. Yeah, <laughs> we're not exclusive to shit. We'll dip our toes in all movies. Just the eighties is just that. I don't know that elixir of life that we just keep wanting to go back to. It was when we were exploring life, when we, you know, we were young youngins mm. birthing in the world, and that's the sort of culture that we were surrounded by. And, mm. it, and now, with the pop culture surrounding the eighties, and you know, the vintage nostalgia retro feel to them films, it's just classic. It is just classic, and do you know what? It's always fun to go back and watch some of those classics to see. Do you know what? Sodgy nineties, the eighties held up well. They, yeah, they some of them held up well. <laughs> If this is your first time, welcome. We get around the mics each week to talk about a different movie, topic, or theme. And as James and I were just saying there, there's over 140 episodes for you to go back and discover. It, sometimes we take on a specific movie, like last week when we did uh, Rocky and the week before that, Ghostbusters, and, you know, quite quite an attraction to them 80s movies. But we will leave no stone unturned on the quest to find the greatest movies of all time. So we'll do director specials. We'll look at a, a specific actor and look at their filmography. Sometimes, like this week, we'll just come up with a theme, have a bit of fun, Press record, see what comes out. Classic podcasting, James. And do you know what? If you're hearing it, it means it, it scraped the bare minimum. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Thank you for downloading. If you like the show, don't forget to subscribe. You get a new episode every week in your inbox that you can listen to whenever you like. But there will be a new episode every single Monday. Uh, if you like it, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review. That'll be ever so kind of you. It's We appreciate it so much. Yeah, it really does help indie podcasters. Which we are. Mm. There's no big money here. There's no money here, James. We should start advertising. We're like, oh, go to Burger King. <laughs> what, do it the reverse way. Instead yeah. of them paying us to do it, we just do it until... Until they realise. It's like, who sent until you this? to stop. Two, two dicks in Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this week, we've got a really good episode. Now, we've done this a few times on this podcast, and that is the A to Z game. The well is not dry. It's not. It's the it's the gift that keeps on giving. We keep revisiting this theme. And that is you write A to Z, just like when you were kids and you had to come up with a different colour or a different theme or a game or a name or whatever it is for each letter of that alphabet. Um, so we're going to do that today. We've done it previously with uh, actors. Uh, fictional characters. And films. Yeah, we did. I think so, films is due another go, hence this. Yes. This week we're doing the A to Z of the 80s. Or, or kind of like the films in the 80s. It doesn't have to be a film in the 80s. Yeah. Maybe something that's, you know, in films in the 80s. It's anything you think of that if you were to, you know, if someone said define the 80s movies, it can be a film, it can be an actor, it can be a scene, it could be a certain style within those that make it categorically and exclusively the 80s. We want pure 80s filth. Did you know what? I can tell where the divide's going to be because I've got mostly films and you've added the scenes, which makes me think there's going to be a great conversation here. Well, I didn't want to I didn't want to do the obvious and just go for films. I, I did because I did, your, your mind, mate, it's just next level. I've gone obscure in some of these. That's, mate, my Z. If there was rules, it would break those rules. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. And this is always the fun part of this game, is that when you start getting down to, you know, pretty much after tea... You're done. You start getting a bit creative. Yeah. Um, as always, we will uh, shake hands at the end of this uh, to see who had the better list. 
as always, because there's nothing says, yeah, it's like a competitive element that for no reason, it's weird that we've injected it in at the beginning and not halfway through. <laughs> well, well, normally I inject it halfway through when I know I'm winning. I just shut up. <laughs> no, but at this point... You haven't got Bitch Boy now to take your side. It's 50-50 now. It's just fun to go through it and just to revel in the 80s. And who knows, we might have some um, We might have some that cross over and we both have on these lists. It's ever so fun. So that's what we're doing. If you've got a pen and paper, or if you're quick on your feet, let's get your brain in gear, starting to think about A to Z, starting at letter A. I'm going to really try not to get the alphabet wrong. I'm going to let you go first, James, then I'll go second, if that's all right. That's fine. Um, do you know what? It's the 80s. It was a different era. It was time for a bit of fun. Time for the ultimate spoof. The ultimate disaster. I've got an airplane. Ooh. There you go. So you still that come out in the 80s. A great slice of virtual comedy. A lot of literal jokes. And some hilarity. And we spoke about it at length on this show before. And, and why not? Mm. Why is a cracking film that destroyed the disaster genre because people couldn't stop laughing at it? It did actually, didn't it? It did actually yeah. end the disaster genre, and then it kind of didn't pick up again. I mean, I mean, if only if only Airplane Two was closer to Armageddon. Yes, yes, that's true. It's nearly, <laughs> it's so nearly there. Uh, but no, I think Airplane is a is a great choice to open this '80s perfection. And also, if you if we're talking Airplane, we're talking spoofs as well. We'd be at a time like Naked Gun and stuff like that. So we've got like a, like the '80s is the start, the pinnacle of the piss taking. Because the '80s were quite cheeky. They were a bit the, cheeky. The, the comedy, you know, the um, the parody, the self-referencing of the movies. It was something that I'm not saying, and a lot of the things on this list, not exclusive to the 80s, but the 80s had a way of kind of really defining it, um, you know, and, and making it its own. And I think, yeah, Aeroplane and Naked Gun, like you just said, um, in fact, pretty much all of Liam uh, yeah. Neeson's, God, I always get these name wrong. Liam Leeson. Leslie Neeson. Leslie Neeson. God, it's not did, did I just correct you by Liam then? Liam Neeson was airplane, but he had that cosh and he was shanking people. Or was that non-stop? He was trying to find someone. He, was, he had a particular set of skills. None of them were acting. racial sensitivity. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, or acting, to be fair. Airplane, great, great way to kick off. I like that. If, yeah. if I had a soundboard, I'd give you a little bell, a little, ooh, that was good, that. Ooh, to be cheeky. I went in big, I went in strong, like the muscles themselves Action heroes. Ooh. You, it's not the 80s unless you have action heroes. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Stallone, Van Damme, Willis, Mel Gibson, Sigourney Weaver, Kurt Russell, Chuck Norris. All of these. Not saying they are defined in the 80s or exclusive to the 80s. Obviously, obviously they've had careers outside of that decade, but they've all had, uh, what's it, um, defining roles in that decade. Including, and I put Sigourney Weaver in there especially because Aliens really changed that, film, changed yeah. that genre into, into an action film. That's a cracking choice. I think a lot of them were birthed in the 80s as well. The, maybe the 90s as well, you like the stepchild mm. of the action film. But no, the 80s, I completely agree with that. The, not what we call the birth of the modern action era now. So it's all guns, mm. blazes, all muscles. You know, it's not John Wayne at the Alamo. No. It's, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger and a tub of... Baby oil. It's just big and explosive <laughs> and violent. And, you know, you Rambo, you John McClane's, Dutch, Ripley, Indiana Jones, Martin Riggs, Jack Burton, all these names hopefully should ring bells as some iconic action heroes from the 80s. Um, yeah, I, that's a really good shout. I really like when you've gone that action hero. I, I feel like we're going to have a good dynamic today. Mm. Whilst you'll come up with these great ones, I'll come up with maybe a film <laughs> or two. What, what have you got for B? Right, B. now, um, I was thinking maybe Batman. I was maybe thinking big, but you know what? There's a film from the 80s that I adored. Not many people have seen Brazil. 
the, the kind of the spoof again of 1980, uh, 1984, Jonathan Price, in a world of bureaucracy. Mm. It's so much fun. It's a Terry Gillum. It's a great film. I don't want to talk too much about Terry Gillum, but he's a great film, great insight. They're going to kill him, but they, they haven't filled out the right form. I, it's just everything's hilariously funny. It's good, but it's well-written. It's sharp. It's quick. It's the sort of film that the 80s needed, like the bureaucracy, you know, the Cold War, all of this stuff happening. And this film just came and ripped the piss. I love Brazil so much. You've talked about it before in this podcast, I and I agree. I, I love that film. You, is your Jonathan Price timeline the same as mine, that you saw Brazil, yeah. then you learned who Jonathan Price was, yeah. and then you rewatch Brazil and go, oh, it's Jonathan Price. Yeah. I've done that with so many films. Like I, Weirdly, Jonathan Price, he did that film, disappeared for a while, became mm. the villain. And now is the Pope and instead of Ron's hearts. That film is glorious. <laughs> it's though. such a good film. But I always, I always remember, uh, I don't think Jonathan Price has got a bad film. I mean, sure, he has somewhere. Even in that Bond in that Bond film where he, it's not the best Bond film, he's still a very good villain. He is, yeah, he is great. Um, he is great. And I just, I, I think his trying achievement might be Brazil. Sorry, I just I went off microphone now I'm speaking, so I don't know if you hear that. Brazil, fantastic achievement. It looks beautiful and it's just the bureaucracy. And I, anything that sticks it to the man, I'm a rebel at heart. He says with his corporate mid-management job, <laughs> <laughs> stick it to him. <laughs> stick it to you. And if anyone's listening to this, uh, I'll force my own. And- I'm sorry, my boss. I apologize. I won't double tomorrow. Does it age well? You seen it recently? I saw it two years ago mm. when I think I was trying to get someone else to watch it. Do you know what? Sometimes you know when you're it's your favorite film and you let it you let it have mm. something you let it get away. I think you could argue it's quite slow. But do you know what? Nah, I, I still love it. It's got a special place in my heart. And if it was an underrated film, it's a very underrated film. Not many people have seen it, but mm-hmm. I, I think you can see its influences as well now in the 2000s. There's a Terry Gilliam and Jonathan Price movie that came out on Now TV that fell through the gaps of having a cinema release. It's got Adam Driver in it, and I'm going to butcher it, but it's like, it's got one of these crazy names, Don Quito or something. Or whatever. And yeah. it's one of them that I've always meant to watch from like a year or two back. Don Quixote. Don Quixote, yeah. yeah based I ha- on the book. Yeah. 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 So I haven't seen it yet, but it's it's one of them that I keep hovering over and thinking, uh oh, I do want Johnson Prize, that might be fun. Yeah. Give it a go. Do it. Two popes you would have for, mate. Anyway, well so I've hit B with Brazil, mate. B was a difficult one for me because you're right, you've got the movies, you've got your Back to the Future, big Batman, Beetlejuice, Beverly Hills, Bill and Ted. You know, bees were big. In, bees were big. In the eighties. Where are you going? But then there was other big things in the eighties, big hair. Big phones, oh. big suits, but I I could not not define not bring this to the table, James. If I was going to define the eighties, boobies, I agree with them, boobies. Because there was an I'll there was allow, a lot of boobies. I'm in going the to 80s. I'm going to allow the boobies. <laughs> <laughs> but Mate, there was. It didn't matter whether it was a, a kids like comedy or a coming of age movie no. or or you know a drama or a war movie. They, Unashamedly, a set of boobs would appear in the movie. Even in a U, you remember we've got loads of kids hanging around trying to solve a murder or something. That's one scene. At one point, they'd go spying the neighbours to try and get some boobs. They'd find some boobs, James. They Mate, it's, it's, it always shocks me, you know, the moment. I mean, in Die Hard, in the opening 15 minutes, you see, you see loads of boobs in that film. It's just like, well, what are you going to do? The Nakatomi Plans is under attack. You haven't got any shoes on. It's Christmas well, Eve. You, it's Christmas Eve. Come to the party, have some fun. You need something to calm you down. Across the street, boobies. Uh, and then it's getting tense. People are shooting at you. Boobies in the cupboard. Boobies in the cupboard. <laughs> it's just, there's a, there's a, yeah. And that, that is a defining part. I remember being a kid being like, there was a lot of boobs in the 80s. See no evil, hear no evil. Boobs. Yeah, that's an no, example. For no reason. <laughs> There's no need in that movie. It's just boobs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, um, what's it? Uh, 
yeah, I'm not going to go into actually. There's <laughs> <laughs> not this podcast, right? but I, I would be doing a disservice to myself if I didn't bring boobs to the table. I, do you want my? I'll allow boobs. Um, see, let's go see. Well, I co-starring oh. in Die Hard, everyone's favourite scene, and I think a lot of the '80s was behind a lot of the movies as well. Uh, cocaine. Yeah, yeah, yes, I've got cocaine to see. I was wondering where he was going. I was like, that's not cocaine, James. What's going on? Um, cocaine obviously appears in Die Hard, gives uh, Ellis the, <laughs> the edge, <laughs> gives the edge that he needs. You couldn't, you couldn't, mate, after the kids had seen them boobies and they'd mellowed out, they needed to get high. <laughs> <laughs> cocaine. Cocaine was, right, if you, if you're an alien and you watched and you've learned human history through 80s films, you just think cocaine was fucking everywhere. <laughs> and you know what? It was. <laughs> Um, not only a product of the time, product of the movies and behind the scenes. You've got Carrie Fisher on Star Wars, not remembering anything because she was so out, she was coked out of her mind. You've got every... Cocaine's an important part of 80s film history. Mm. Without it, there are no movies. Yeah, and it was in their movies, it was very much a villain or someone to watch out for. Yeah, so never, never the good guy did cocaine. <laughs> well, I double C, James, because the good guy did cigarettes. So my C is cigarettes and cocaine. You good guys would you smoke dirty in the double 80s. barrel. Well, you think of someone like uh, you know uh, Riggs, you know Mel Gibson in Lethal Weapon, yeah. you know, lighting up cigarettes left, right, and center. You wouldn't get that now in your modern day hero. You know, no, he'd, he'd more likely vape. Lungs <laughs> were <laughs> lungs were different in the eighties. They could handle that tobacco. <laughs> I was literally going to say that, mate. My favorite thing about going to going to cigarettes and good guys is when. I, I don't I vaguely remember seeing them is when Fred, Fred Flintstone used to try and sell you cigarettes on Sunday morning cartoons he's just like have a fourth just yeah. like you should buy these kids can you imagine if it, if if, if, they, if they if there was a vaping like action movie now where someone's like I just think it'd be called The Git <laughs> no, no one would like it it'd be odd wouldn't it oh, I've have got, you seen a film with a vape in it no because not even Hollywood's that low he vaped in a uh, that film that we did a few weeks ago with the uh, oh, the taxi driver. I'm sure there was vaping in that. Okay. Let's move on. I'll take your word for it. D. Oh, no. Sorry, you were talking about cigarettes. No, that's it. I'm, All done. Right. I'm done. D. Do you want part of me wants to go maybe Dead Poets Society? You know, the 80s. Robin Williams was making us laugh and then he inspired us. However, there's a special punch about the 80s where it's just bullshit. June. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. June was a contender. The, the ultimate 80s bollocks. Just yeah. like, as a kid, you don't know what's going on. The, the hero's eyes are blue. Something about spice, which could easily be cocaine. Okay. <laughs> Patrick Stewart, who was before us here, you know, there's so much bollocks in Dune. But do you know what? I didn't understand it as a kid. And then when I did understand it, I preferred it when I didn't. 80s Dune. When literally any fantasy element, hundreds of billions of pounds make it. Dune. I'd obviously didn't get that much, but however, Dune. And when the remake's coming out, I'm worried it's gonna it's not gonna be as campy. Mm. I'm actually worried about the state of Dune 2021. I like my Dune 80s. Campy, practical effects, giant sandworm that looks like a puppet. Because it was. It, it, it the mind boggles though when with movies like Dune that find a cool audience years later and kind of like have it as one of these movies that like defines an era and, and a genre and performances like you've been talking about. And it happens in music as well, you know, that you get young people discovering artists like David Bowie or Prince, or, you know, and being tortured that they weren't around when it was out. And it always boggles me that Dune is the one that gets picked out of that because it is a lot of nonsense. It's a lot of nonsense. It's balls. Did we need a remake? I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like we're always going to get a remake because the, some of the, they look at the 80s and they think that's cheesy. Imagine what that would be like now. 
However, I think the uh, the appeal of Dune was that it was it was a bit of a joke, mm. just like Willow. No one watches Willow. So I was just checking my door to see if I've, I've popped out. I've crossed Willow out. Um, when you watch Willow, you don't watch it for like the dark story. You watch it because you want to see Val Kilmer prat about. Mm. There's it, we liked the eighties fantasy weren't serious. They were fun. They were idiots that somehow were saving the universe. Look at Legend. I mean, really? What a movie. What, what, Tom Cruise, did we think he was really going to save the world with Unicorn Hall by blasting the devil into space? Yeah. You're I was right. fully involved in that movie. <laughs> I know you were. More so than June. I think June, I think June the remake's going to work. I think Denis Villeneuve's the right guy to, to drive it. Um all-star cast, you know, so yeah, I'm, I'm, but it, it's just the mind boggles. I'm like, really, that film? That the, That's the film that was, and people come out of the woodworks loving it. They're like, oh, I love that film. It's like amazing. I'm like, seriously? Like, okay, cool. Cool, wicked. That's the beauty of film. So you don't like do? Yeah, I don't mind it, but I didn't, I don't know what the craze is about it. I genuinely was trying to remember the famous line from it. He's the one. No, that's not it. Obviously you do. I went a little bit more, um, Obscure, I guess, with this one. For my D, I was going to go with the diner. There was a thing about the diner in 80s movies. Oh, my, your list is so good. Whether it be, you know, the place that the high school kids hang out at, you know, whether it be where the exchanges between the cop and the robber, the, you know, the whether it go whether they're there for breakfast or whether they're there at an all-nighter. The diner was a staple part of 80s movies. And I love that. You know, I love the whole American culture around dining but i had to go with because i was trying to find a way to get this in and make it make sense detention there was something oh, about dirty 80s slot. movies where it didn't matter whether your gang of heroes were saving the world or stopping an invasion or whatever they feared detention you know their lives were at stake and all this kind of stuff but what they actually feared um was james tolkien put them in detention that kind of who may pop up later in a few of my uh a few of my picks but yeah, that, that headmaster walking the corridors, threatening with a Saturday detention. Yes, I'm thinking of specific movies here that I'm not going to go into naming, but there was something about high school movies and detention that was like it the, was the end of everything. <laughs> oh my God, my Saturday. It was always a weekend detention as well, which we don't have in the UK. It's always like after school or lunchtime. I was going to say, after school was when you were really bad in this country. Mm. I had one. I had one. Yeah, one after school. Yeah, you dick. Mine yeah. wasn't even worth it. I was really pissed off. I was like, the amount of shit I've got away with in this school, it's like I should have made more. Anyway, that's a cracker. Detention. You, detention's an amazing one. E. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slot in. I'm going to slot in with yours. What if you need a jock for that detention? If it's the AEs, you need a Brat Pack. You, you, Charlie Sheen's not famous enough yet. He's only got bit parts. You need Emilio Estevez. Yeah, you do. Yeah, double lead. Emilio Estevez was, I still, I do like the my boggles. When you look at the world today, how Charlie Sheen's the famous one. People have forgotten about Emilio Estevez. And this is be <laughs> because of going back to cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> so this is before, you know, he he found he found his calling as a in the Mighty Ducks films. They were the nice These were the A's, mate. But you know, he was everywhere. He was he was the person that you chose if you couldn't get Keith Keith Sutherland. <laughs> it was then Emilio Estevez. He's in that uh, terrible film about uh cars coming to life. Plays the mechanic. Don't you don't you dare talk about Maximum Overdrive. Like Maximum that. Overdrive, the great film. And then obviously he hit fame big time as part of, uh, I can't remember the names, but from The Breakfast Club, which is a film that you're leading to earlier. The 90s were his. Uh, sorry, the 80s were his. Then the 90s happened. And they fucked him right over. <laughs> but don't worry, they did that to a lot of the 80s stars. <laughs> well, he's back. Is he back now with the Mighty Ducks TV series? I believe he is. I don't, I don't have Disney Plus. I don't want it to hurt the legacy, mate. Three near perfect films. <laughs> 
<laughs> they're the only films I know as well that, that, that you know uh, sequels always up the tension mm. the first one was like you know it's just the local league the second one is the Olympics then the third one is like the bullies at school I was like well you've missed a step here <laughs> they, <laughs> they defeat the rest of the world in the second film and then have to go back to school James, I'd ride that fucking high forever it's like I won an Olympic medal bitch it's the, the third one's not <laughs> Space Jam James is it <laughs> and I tell you a little flashback last week James <laughs> <laughs> when he's talking about Rocky in the fourth one he's ended the Cold War fifth one he had a little alley fight and you were singing its praises I concede the point <laughs> <laughs> uh, Emilio Estevez uh, fucking he was an 80s you're definitely going to pop up at, uh, in, at some point in my list in a specific movie um, but for me at the moment E stands for E.T. The Extraterrestrial mm. biggest grossing movie out of the 80s it has so much that I love uh, intertwined in this the use of practical effects the fact that it's a love letter to the 50s and 60s fascination with sci-fi and aliens but also a trendsetter and something that would set the mold for films to come it's this very brilliant film that kind of said goodbye to one style of filmmaking and introduced a whole new world of filmmaking I think also it has a trait that belongs in the 80s and that is kids banding together to outsmart adults to save the day something that now if it happens in a action movie it's it's it doesn't pass um it, it's one that doesn't flow audiences like kids like how would they get in that room how would they do that how do they have the technology how why wouldn't they at school or whatever like that in the 80s though free pass they climbed out a window they had bikes they went and did what they had to do and then they got back before bedtime it yep. worked in the 80s movies it unfortunately doesn't anymore and E.T. is a classic example of that do you know what I never understood about E.T. is right at the end when E.T. gets to go home spoilers mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the family just like go back to their house is the, the government know who they are <laughs> so surely they're just at the house waiting to like come open yeah, <laughs> I mean. on they'd be right dark fucking secret <laughs> wouldn't they like 10 years later they're all in like tubes like in a science laboratory I don't like E.T. I know I, I, I don't know but, why you don't like it but do you know it. what I think I did work it out the other day when I, when I was coming up for 80s films um, I think it's because I always watched E.T. when I was ill so you know when you so when I stayed home from school when I was ill I always watched the VH copy VHS copy that my dad had recorded off ITV mm. <laughs> And um, I think that's so. I've got the memory of whenever I see E.T., I feel ill because I only ever watched it when I was ill. Did your, when you recorded a movie back in the day on an old VHS cassette, mm. did you pause the adverts or did you not? No, my dad fucking was a champion, mate. And do you know what? You know the little bit where it comes up with the still before the film starts? Mm. He got rid of that as well. So it would be seamless, mate. That's so brilliant. Not all heroes wear capes. Because I, my favorite filming story, and I might have saw this on a podcast before, but. I once recorded Texas Chainsaw Massacre overnight. Yeah, you have, yeah. Yeah, I'll just... Do it. It's your first time. I recorded this overnight, not knowing there was a power cut overnight, which turned the video player off and then restarted it again. And when I went the next day or whatever it was to watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I was young, I was like 12, 13, should not be watching this movie. All you knew was that you shouldn't be watching this movie. But I'm going to watch you enjoy Daylight, James, because the, the, the boogeyman can't attack you in the daylight and it's perfectly fine because nothing bad happens in sunlight mm. as a kid. Okay. Other than sunburn, but I'd recorded it, and the next day I was like, I was watching, I was like rewinding it, and and, it, and I was like, fucking hell, this movie's only like thirty minutes long. This is well short, you know. This is artistic, like grindhouse horror movie. That's fine. And then watching it, and the the cut was seamless. They go in a house, and then one of them runs out of the house, and the guy's like waving a chainsaw and gets in the van, you know, and she drives off. And I was like, fucking hell, that was intense. It was short, you know. Years later, a bunch of friends like, should we put Texas Chainsaw Massacre on? I was like, yeah, I've got half hour, and <laughs> put it on. 
And all this middle stuff's there, James. Like the, the gory. Like the killing. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the horrible you, stuff. You, did you just think it was about a story about a nice man whose home gets invaded and chases them off? <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, foreshadowing, James, I knew it was an evil house because it wasn't well looked after. <laughs> and I also realised that I'm saying that nothing bad happens uh, uh, during the daylight when that film is predominantly during the day. Yeah. <laughs> but there was an element of you they were... go in the house and then one's running out. They must have saw, seen something scary in there, James. And for about a year, I wondered what it was. And then I saw. It's quite scary. That's I don't think I've ever willingly rewatched that movie since or any of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre films. That don't interest me. So I think I've seen him once. I know. Maybe, I don't maybe know. for a Halloween Halloween episode we did, but I think that was it. No, I don't think I rewatched him. I think I think I've seen the films, or or I've been in a room when other people have watched them and whatever. But I've never actually sat down. Thing I remember the big set pieces. So when you're watching, it, you're just like, oh, I hope they get to the like the, the the bit where they force feed people. Is that in that film? Yeah, that's the film where they tied her up and they're like singing to all the families there. Mm. It's like I just want to get to that bit, but you have to sit through a load of crap before that. Oh, we I mean, get it. They're all horrible to each other. No, they're all intense. nice. Yeah. It is intense. Uh, so anyway, E, E.T. That's what we're doing. Many rest of us in E.T. Uh, we're going F then. Do you know what? As God is my witness, I'll never put Ferris Bueller's Day off. Never. I hate the man. Although I just realised he does appear on my list later, so that's pissed me off. Um, you hate Matthew Broderick. Matthew, I hate Matthew Broderick. I, I hate Ferris Bueller's Day off. It's about an arsehole. <laughs> it's about an arsehole who skips the day off and gets his, he, he like destroys his best friend's car and he's just an arsehole and he sings in a parade. What an arsehole. What an absolute arsehole. I quite like that film. Ferris Bueller's a dick. <laughs> it's like the worst friend you can have. So uh, I went, fuck it, full metal jacket. <laughs> it's like what's the opposite of Ferris Bueller's Day Off but also it makes a point as well that the 80s and I've only tried to limit myself to one fuck me there were there were a lot of films about Vietnam War mm. Platoon you know there you go. there's th- two there's two <laughs> now maybe no I think that was the 70s anyway a Full Metal Jack is a cracking story about a peace loving uh, Marine who uh, joins the war as the press uh, press agent and obviously it's famous for uh, the Kingpin uh, yeah, Vincent, Vincent Devardo yeah. like he's as Poyle it's like the worst soldier, but the worst drill sergeant as well. Mm. It's, a, it's a great film. But weirdly, you that the bit I'm talking about only ends after half an hour and you always forget that there's another movie coming. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. Do you want that cracker from the 80s? I think the point I wanted to bring up as well was it was mostly, oh, it was mostly, uh, it's a Vietnam War. We, make, we don't make movies. I remember the last, maybe Tigerland, the early 2000s. They don't make films about the Vietnam War now. We were soldiers... Seen, I was like two, yeah, it was early 2000s, wasn't it? Yeah, that was early, wasn't it? But uh, I, I, yeah, full mile jacket, cracker. Hmm. I not seen that in ages, neither. I was, no. I was on a Kubrick high at one point and I was going to go watch it. And I don't think it was on a streaming service at the time. I don't own it on DVD, but oh, I do own it on DVD. I think weirdly someone bought it for me. I mm. think Anthony, who's made this, we were talking about iconic film posters a few episodes back. We are going to do that in May over the course of May, release a film poster every day and mm-hmm. get people involved. So if you do have any. Film posters you love, um, send them to us on social media or tell us what they are because we'll consider them for the, the, the 30 days of film posters. Um, <laughs> what well, we did for Halloween. Yeah. And we never released number one. Oh, <laughs> we just forgot to. 
It was, no, that's the, was in a nutshell. It's the Exorcist. I, I did. Oh yeah. I did thirty days, and we just never released the last one. <laughs> well, there it is, ladies and gentlemen. No, but Full Metal Jacket was a film poster and half, wasn't it? It was. It was. It, it was the helmet, wasn't it, with everything on it? Do you know Born I really, to Kill, on side. Born to Kill. I really love about it. There's the small bits, the scenes where he's got like the peace badge and he's getting berated by a sergeant. It's like, why the hell have you got that? We're in a war. Like the callousness of it. And I, I do you know what I think on film, the Vietnam War was something special. It's about people who didn't want to be there fighting, people who didn't want to be there. It's a cracking dynamic. Some great films come out there. Uh, I came up with a cracker for P, and I didn't want to have two war films in it, so I actually crossed Platoon out and kept Full Metal Jacket. A platoon, though, one of my favourites. Tom Berenger basically versus uh, William Defoe for the soul of Charlie Sheen. And uh, in hindsight, I bet Paul Berenger wish he lost. Mm. <laughs> and a young, young Johnny Depp and uh, John, young C. De- uh, John C. McGinley. Mm. Uh, no, it's a, it, that's a cracking film. It's just something about the Vietnam War in the 80s. It was, it was film gold. Mm. There's an Oliver Stone podcast with... Um... Joe Rogan, we talked about Platoon. It's fucking fascinating. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, he's going into it, how the studio didn't want to make it and, you know, the the response it had when it was first seen in American cinemas and stuff. It's really, really fascinating to hear him talk about it. Um, Just go back to that film poster of uh, Full Metal Jacket. Jacket. I do then love how the PlayStation game Hogs of War had Born to Grill written on the side (sighs) of a helmet and you're like, I love it. Love it. Pop culture influencing uh, from the 80s. For me, for the F, it was a weird one. Uh, I ended up going, and you, bear with me after explain this one, but there was something about 80s movies as well, whenever I think back, and there's one very significant movie that I'm going to talk about. But the 80s had this fascination with futuristic predictions about yes. what the future was going to look like. Um, and it was ridiculous, you know, hover cars, coffee makers that turn on automatically, future presidents, fashion, all of it wildly off what we actually now know it to be. And there's something now that makes the the 80s even more glorious. It's looking back at Back to the Future and Total Recall in these movies and just seeing how how futuristic they try to be, but incredibly dated that looks. Do what I admire them. We we had we seem to have more optimism in the eighties. It's like oh, the future will be awesome. And then when it came to the actual future, no one just gave a shit. <laughs> it was almost romantic about what it could be, but it was laid down by the technology of the time. So they, you know, the introduction of you know, uh, well, it's hard to it's hard to like have technology that doesn't exist. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, there was the birth of the computer, and so in that they had, had expanded on what they had, but they tend to go bigger. And obviously now technology is all about the smaller the phone, the smaller the iPad or whatever it is, and. You know, these, I mean, some films get it right and actually we do have certain things that were in these films, but you look at some and it's just like fucking terrible. <laughs> like it must be so <laughs> ambitious and so hard to be like, oh yeah, we're going to, you know, like, oh yeah, you know, the, the computer that's now, you know, in games consoles that are, that are in households, we're going to make a futuristic movie where they're playing on the games console and the graphics don't look any better, but it doesn't matter because it, we'll just say that it's the Gen X version of the console that's out now and people will know, oh shit, that must be like the 10th one of the, you know, it's that kind of thing. And I love the A's for trying. Oh, you've got to love a try. Uh, you've got to love a try, James. Do you know I think that's a great shout? You know how I feel about the 80s version of the future. Mm. That would have been a better F, actually. Do you know what, G? I'm going to keep it quite simple because we had a... Kirsten came on a few weeks and she put it in her top films. And do you know what? It made me think. Gremlins was great. Gremlins, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Gremlins. Do you know what? I really liked... They were cute, but at the same time, like the moral of the story, like don't feed it after midnight, don't get it wet, mm. don't put in direct sunlight. Do you know what? That was actually fantastic. I've really liked Gremlins. And it, it, do you know what? I've rewatched it. It fucking holds up. It does. I really liked it. I thought it was, a, it was great fun. And do you know what? I know people don't like the second one. I liked it. It's tongue-in-cheek, fourth-wall-breaking, Hulk Hogan appearance. Do you know what? I really liked it. Do you know what? I always forgot as well in the first one, not that much happens. Yeah, it's, it's, it's 
true to that era, isn't it? Of let all the action happen towards the end of the movie. Yeah, just like build it, build it. Gizmo might be my. Do you know what? It, maybe I should change it to Gizmo as well because the Gizmo was selling like telephones mm. in the eighties. Gizmo was everywhere. It's like COVID, but keyword. <laughs> <laughs> and you could leave the house. <laughs> Just gonna feed it after midnight. Yeah, just gonna get it wet. You don't want to get COVID. Well, I mean, my first question buying Gizmo would have been: No, you can't feed it after midnight. But what what time does then? Can you then feed it again? Is it six a.m.? Is it like what? I think it's universally accepted at six a.m. But for no reason. Mm. I want to see the science behind it. I want to. I want to see someone like cook Gizmo up and like feed it end times ago. Like, what makes it work? Yeah, it it produces life through water. I mean, let's do that. At what point, you know, if He's eaten, but it's still in his stomach. He's digesting. Yeah. What if he's got blockage? Yeah, exactly. It says don't get him wet, but what if the humidity in the room is too much? Mm. Does that count? What if someone spits on him? Does that? that, That's what the third movie is just going to be. People go around spitting at Gizmo. (laughs) (laughs) You fucking tell What a way to go. (laughs) What a way to go. You spit at Gizmo and then you get eaten. Actually, that person probably deserves it. <laughs> Should spit people. <laughs> well, not Gizmo. <laughs> gremlins. Gremlins, yeah. That's wicked cool. I love Gremlins. There's something about when I start watching Gremlins that it's almost immediately when the dad shows the uh, invention, the you know the time-saving, you can shave, brush your teeth, this clumsy malfunctioning device that he's trying to sell. When that scene happens, I'm like, oh, fuck it, I love this movie. This, yeah. It, again... It's a prediction of like the convenience and how in the future we're all going to need these kind of devices. Um, and I, that, I settle straight in at that immediate point and then just love the film from then onwards. But it is it is great. And to be honest, it's not the ending I think is the most iconic bit. It's when the mum fucking... Because no one thinks the mum's going to take out that many gremlins in that movie. Yeah, but she does. But now that's what you only remember. Yeah. Gremlins. Gremlin in a blender. <laughs> I For me, for G, I went with... It would not be, James, a uh, an 80s movie unless someone wore some ridiculous gym clothing at some point. Oh, I see him. Yoga clothes, sweatpants, leg warmers, short shorts, lycra, string vests, locker room chat, slapping ass going into the showers, that kind of stuff, James. The, the uh, 80s, the headband, the all that stuff. The white vest that's weirdly too big for the giant person. It's like, how is this baggy on you, Arnie? How? Yeah. How? The tube socks pulled up to the knees. Yes. You know, the... The going on the sports field and you know at, at PE and everyone's wearing the same grey outfit, you know, and and all doing star jumps. Like no, do do you do that in PE? I don't know. Like it's more no like sweat. a military class. Yeah, no stains. No, and so for me, eighties movies, it's that fascination. That scene where someone's walking through the shopping mall and there's a yoga class going on, and there's just a load of people doing like a aerobics workout or whatever or a yoga class with some really over the top instructor at the front. Just that kind of stuff. I always think 80s, it's going to link in with one of my future points, but Lycra, that kind of stuff. Smell that nostalgia from that. Yeah. Paint a picture. And always vibrant colours, you know, with, with the Lycra. Oh, outside, talking, you know, oh yes, yes. But the grey sweats inside, you know. The dad's, you know, it's just, he's like, well, you've been, been to the gym, you know, in some horrible oh, oversized grey jumper. <laughs> gym. My hate, my hate is really boring, but I wanted a film that I really loved in there. I am sorry because there's not going to be that much talking points. Hellraiser, uh, but you I like the, Hellraiser. But the reason I brought it up, I don't want to say that. Like that. <laughs> but the reason I brought it up as well is so that we can have this conversation. Hellraiser, not just a perfect film from the eighties, but a perfect film to use in the argument practical effects, which the eighties were big on. Was uh, which is the point I was trying to make. 
So uh, the eighties was it was too soon for com- computer generated graphics. They relied on a lot of practical effects, and the Hellraiser is a perfect example of this of creating a body and basically turning up the heat in a room and recording as it melted. So you could play it backwards, so you could see a body forming that sort of stuff. The ingenuity of uh, the practical effects, the the reliance on puppeteering, and, and we talk about Gremlins, the puppets, the the model making. I think it's a it's an art that's lost. There is a warehouse somewhere in this country. There must be with like all of these like puppets and all these creations and all these costumes are just laying there. And my heaven would be just find it mm. and like piss about in it for a week. And Hellraiser, the reason I bring it up is because the 80s, the practical effects, because I had a good one for P, so I had to get practical effects in here somehow. So I went Hellraiser for the argument of practical effects over special effects. The 80s being practical effects. Perfect example being Hellraiser. Makes sense. Good. <laughs> I think if you say it enough times, people will believe you. Yeah, just, why are you questioning it? I'm not. I know you like Hellraiser. Emma at the movies. I can hear her now on the bus, having a go. Going out to begin with P, I can hear it. Where's she going? It's locked down. No, it isn't. She allowed, she's going to the pub. Well done, Emma. <laughs> I just, Hellraiser to me doesn't make sense. Like, I, I don't get it. Like, if the next Hellraiser movie was Fifty Shades of Hellraiser, yep. would you watch it? Uh, probably, because I'm a, I'm a mark, mate. Mate, I've seen the awful ones where they couldn't even get Doug Bradley, and Doug Bradley has only ever played, only ever played Hellraiser. They were so bad they couldn't get him. I've still watched them, mate. I've I still watched the short them. with him in it where he played a, a demon like dentist. You didn't and feel good he after stu- He stitched Charlie Borman's mouth shut. How do you feel about that? A bit boring, really. Yeah. Well, was it practical effects? Yeah. Uh, were they good? Yeah. Practical effects. Hellraiser Pratt- practical, practical effects. effects over, yeah. And that is something that's beautiful about the 80s. To be fair, could have just said the thing, same reason. Yeah, yeah, but, that comes up later in my it, list. But it does yeah. start with H. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, you'll see where I've slipped that bad boy in. <laughs> For me, H, it was dead simple, James. The henchman. Oh, that's a good one, that one is. The henchman. Uh, there was, and again, I'm not saying this was invented in, uh, you know, in, in the 80s. By all means, I probably the most defining... Is maybe Jaws, which I know came in before the eighties. Um, but maybe the perfected Kong. it. In like- I think the eighties had a lot more fun with it, and I think they certainly laid the groundwork and the rules for the henchman. James Bond, he really has something to take from the henchman. You know, re- you know, it was always James Bond movies. Your odd jobs, you know, your, your Jaws or whatever it may be. But the eighties, like I say, had had real fun to it. So let's have a look at my list. I did write some down for me. Right-hand man who gets their hands dirty. So Clarence Boddicker from Robocop. He's great. He, he fucking... I always forget how violent that movie I love. I love the fact he just comes in and like spits on the table. It's like, he's like, yeah. let me see him. And she says no. And he spits on the table. A tooth comes out. Like, like, like he sure say yes now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've spat a tooth out. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Come this way. I mean, Vader in his peak. Uh... You know the German mechanic in Indiana Jones, Bob in Batman. Yeah, Bob. It's it's uh, you know the the skull in Scarface, Boba Fett, Carl in Die Hard, Wes in Mad Max Two. These are all the ones. That so and Lethal Weapon. Yeah, so these are all the people that you know the the henchmen. There are three rules to being a henchman: is that you need screen times, but no backstory. That's absolute key. You need to be a physical presence on screen, but you do not need to know anything about that individual. Number two. You need to be distinguishable from your peers. So you may be wearing the same outfit. You need to have something that sets you apart normally, a bit crazy looking in the eyes, or you're a bit bigger, stronger, and scarier looking, or you are literally stood to the right of the main villain. And the third one (laughs) is devoted to the cause, the overall plan. You're not persuaded by money or politics or anything like that. 
you're dedicated to see it through to the end. Often the henchman will see out the plan. Joshua. Yeah, wait. He might pop up later. Um, Sorry, mate. <laughs> so again, he will see it out way beyond where the man in the suit, you know, the CEO, the um, the bureaucrat who who's the real villain. No, it's the henchman, the muscle that I want to celebrate. 80s did it gloriously. Like cracking shout. Some glorious, glorious mentions there. All worthy of a Hall of Fame. I, I picked a film. And the film is 80s glory to this, but it also promotes another, a lot like Hellraiser. Picked Hellraiser to promote practical effects over this. Well, this film's about science and how in the 80s it just fucking did one. <laughs> There's a scientist out there that has come up with a way of miniaturizing people and his plan to miniaturize Quaid and stick him in the bloodstream of a rabbit. However, another business comes in and shoots the place up. And the only way to survive this is to inject him in a man whose life is not going anywhere, who just happens to be about in his ass. And that person just happens to be Martin Short. Meg Ryan is uh, in love with Quaid and, and, and Quaid's inside Martin Short. I'm talking about the 80s classic in a space, which, mate, you have to see it to believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a three-way, there's a three-way love triangle when when one of the, rivals for Meg Ryan's heart is physically inside one of the other ones whispering telling him how to seduce them turns out Meg Ryan I mean I don't want to spoil it for you but at one point Quaid actually jumps bodies and he's in Meg Ryan realises she's pregnant we're now referring to Dennis Quaid as Quaid it's Quaid mate yeah because he doesn't he doesn't deserve his (laughs) follow and maybe maybe Q maybe I have Quaid no I don't I'm just saying that this film is is fantastic but the 80s mate the 80s science just fucking done one there was no science there was just bullshit but this film's brilliant about a little mechanical man, a little man in a mechanical machine. And that's not even the best thing. The best thing, mate, is that the rival company invent their own little manager man and they send him in after Quaid. <laughs> There's like a war going on in Martin Short's body. And the good guy's plan is to get him to belch so that the acidic acid will co- coat the bad guy. That's I've spoiled it yeah. for you, but however, I can't spoil this film for you. It's 123 minutes of pure delight in a space. When science just stopped giving a shit. This is a movie that you mentioned a few weeks back and yep. I, I'd forgotten existed by very fond memories of growing up. Just remembering them poking the back of Martin Shaw's eye and he's like reacted and yeah. stuff. And they, they transfer into Meg Ryan via a kiss, don't they? Yeah. Well, I think it's because he puts the moves on it. He doesn't realise. Mm. He doesn't realise he's in a female body because obviously this giant scientist can't tell the difference between a woman's insides and a man's insides. Maybe, maybe the messages were all inside. We were all different. I, no, we're all the same. Sorry. <laughs> I just like to think that sometimes people listen to podcasts and they have them on and, and you know, so they might have headphones in and someone asks them questions, they pull the headphone out and then they rejoin and they're like, oh, let's just pick up where they are. And, and just came in off of you going, they're inside him, <laughs> they're a little mechanical man and the plan is, is to get this man to belch to take out the enemy and it yeah. just sounds like a very confusing... What film? What do you know I don't understand? Yeah, remake Dune. Yeah, sure. Remake Inner Space? No. <laughs> it should. It needs a remake. It, it fucking needs a remake. We fucking The Rock. Just mate, The Rock being injected inside Adam Sandler, <laughs> and The Rock just tries to kill him from inside. <laughs> <laughs> just starts punching his kidney. <laughs> I, I, I'd like to point out in a space I believe has boobies and cocaine in it and it's a PG film <laughs> I, I think it I think, I think it would it would make a really good remake actually now wouldn't it mate I'm so happy about in a space and as I recall great movie poster mm. that was literally it though uh, I I went for Indiana Jones the character didn't want to pick one of the movies one of the three movies because there's only three Indiana Jones movies uh, soon to be four yeah exactly yeah 
Um, I, so I went with a character who we did define in our characters list as the coolest character of all time. So this is a second appearing for Indiana Jones in the I category for me. Um, he is just the coolest character ever created. And if we're going to pay respect to the 80s and what sums up the 80s, for me, it's that. Out of all the characters, bear in mind, I named a whole bunch earlier, Rambo, John McClane, Dutch, Ripley, Martin Riggs, all those characters, Robocop, you know, for me, it's... It's Indiana Jones is the coolest one. I, you won't disagree with me. He is maybe the coolest mm. fictional character of all time. We got for Jay, Jay then, mate. So we're talking about the eighties. We might be on the same page here. I think there's one director who defined the eighties better than all. No, actually, he's maybe second because you know people right now are going, oh, he's thinking Sixteen Candles. He's thinking John Lewis. No, I'm going the opposite direction. I'm going a man who kind of reinvented horror. Halloween was in the seventies, but the eighties. If you look at his filmography from the eighties, they live the thing. Uh, a big trouble in Little China. I'm talking about John Carpenter and I'm talking about the 80s, which he fucking owned. So I thought you were going to say John Matiernan then. We, no, I teased obviously, you. obviously uh, yeah. diehards. So. No, I've gone John Carpenter. If you look at his, if you look at his filmography of the 80s, he was, well, he, well they weren't all his, I believe there was one miss, but we are talking about some greats in there. And uh, I just think the filmmaker had a lot of fun. The 80s were perfect for him. The technology was right. He, he loves the practical effects. They work, well, they work alongside of it. The storytelling, the 80s weren't really about the storyline. They were about your hero, how your hero gets from point A to B, point B. Nowadays, we're all about what's the hidden meaning? Well, you know, John Carpenter's meanings weren't that hidden. They were like giant letters in front of you and he's smashing you in the face. And he he, he, he didn't shy away from sending you a message. And you know what? I love John Carpenter. I love the 80s. And John Carpenter was defined the 80s in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think that's a very valid point. I think a lot of his movies, like you say, I think, I still, I always go back to Halloween, which I know would be a 70s reference, but Halloween is one of the greatest movies, but certainly perfected it. And John Carpenter did, did have that, you know, no fuck attitude kind of filmmaking. You know, it's just, it just was what it was. It was just, that is the case. And I just said a lot of people kind of challenged that. And, uh, oh, you know, uh, Halloween's actually about, you know, this predatory man and it represents this and, you know, a knife is a phallic shaped object. And he was like, fuck, he's a killer. He's just, he's just a fucking slasher movie. Yep. As you um, remember, like the the thing was about communist. Uh, what was it? Communist infiltrators. It's like, or oh, he was about an alien. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you I mean, and the thing is, the fucking crowning achievement in yeah. the eighties for John Carpenter. That movie is terrific. And uh, an all time great already in the vault. Um, so John Carpenter, which I was quite proud of. I was like, Joy, John Carpenter. I think John Carpenter should have always been John Carpenter's whatever. You know? Yeah, except for Biker Mice from Mars or whatever that bullshit in the two thousands was. Ghost from Mars. Can't win them all. You can't win them all. Everyone's got a ghost now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got John Carpenter's vampires. I, I, do you know what? I think he's okay. I, I, it's 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 when you're allowed to like James Woods. Yeah, that's why he didn't get my V for video drive. Because <laughs> I was like, fuck you, James Woods. Yeah. <laughs> and also the sequel had Bon Jovi in it, which I think is always a bit of trivia we need to... You always need to drop that, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, we've had it in a space twice, so we've got to have that fact in again. Um, Jay, for me... Um, was going to be Mr. Joshua from Lethal Weapon as one of the greatest henchmen, right-hand man, uh, men going, played inch perfect inch. by Gary Busey. Oh, mate. Who took his inspiration for the role of Mr. Joshua from Sharks. We should never forget that fact, neither. In an interview, where did you draw your inspiration? Sharks. End of interview. There's nothing else you can do. You've peaked. You've sold the movie to me. Iconic performance. And did he give the interview though? I don't know. If he he couldn't a, have been for the press for he, Weapon. He'd just be like, weird man is shark. Yeah. <laughs> but he like, just everything from the, you know, the burning of the arm. But then again, Gary Busey, just all of his movies, Under Siege, there's no reason for him to be dressed as a woman appearing out of a cake. There's no reason for it. 
I don't know. It's integral to There's the story. No um, but I didn't. I actually went for Jay, Jack Nicholson. Oh, okay. For the decade of the 80s in his filmography, okay. starting in 1980 with The Shining and ending with Batman. What a transformation throughout the 80s. Oh, imagine a John Carpenter film with Jack Nicholson in it. That would have been epic. It would have been epic. Certainly the 80s. But for me, Jack Nicholson, I mean, Batman was going to appear at some point in this list, I was trying to think. And it's maybe the, the best way as the Joker. But The Shining as well. I will defend that movie all my life that it, it, that it is... I always refer to it as it's a movie inspired by the book, like 70% by the book. And yes, people that are um, purists to the source material don't like the film. We've said this numerous times, but I don't give a fuck. Like the book no. is one thing. The film is another thing. The film is an interpretation of the reading of it. It has some questionable scenes in it, but to me, Jack Torrance, Jack Nicholson is, is phenomenal. Yes, it's flawed. He doesn't turn crazy. He's fucking batshit before he even gets to the, the overlook. He's fucking batshit when he's doing the interview for that. You know, there's no turning, James. He's fucking mental. His second question in that interview is, where's the axe? <laughs> like, it just, but I like it and I respect it. Jack Nicholson, Jay. Let's go, K. Uh, do you know what I had to? I had K9 because I remember in the 80s, why the fuck did every cop movie, did they saddle him up with a dog, turn on out, K9? I mean, when you're looking at K9 and you realise Jim Belushi's been outacted by a dog, you think maybe your career's over. It somehow survived. I mean, but that's not it, mate. Do you know what? Something came out in the 80s. And this is how I've cheated. I've cheated again. My 80s is Khan. That's right. Star Trek 2, Wrath of Khan come out. And it's that Khan, mate, sums up the 80s. <laughs> I love it because it was at a time when the franchise, do you know what? It's the perfect blend of science and bullshit overdrive. I'm going to start rewatching the Star Trek movie so we can do an episode. Good. How many is there? This, are you talking about the original? Yeah. Six. Uh, uh, there's seven because technically the seventh one is when he, he's called Generations and it's with they're both in it. Oh, that's the one. And thingy, is Terrence Stamp the bad guy in that one? No, it's... Uh, the other fucker. No, it's the Scottish McDowell. boy. Yeah. I keep getting Donald, into Duncan and, and Andy McDowell. Well, I've got to remember because in episode two, I said that wrong and I got teased for like 10 episodes. Oh, yeah, episodes. because she was in four wins. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Fuck it. <laughs> you, you turned into the James of the fucking Yeah. Uh, anyway, there's six. And the second one is the crowning achievement. It's, you know what? It's a great... And I'm going to say it again, mate. Practical effects. The ship, the ship flight, they go into a nebula. It's got sacrifice in it, mate. It's got like great dialogue. It's got happenings going on. There is science about the Genesis project bringing uh, planets back to life, but there's Khan from the original TV series. He's a genetically uh, genetically evolved person to be superior, and they went to war, the genetics war, and he got sent away and deserted on an island with his own with his own. So there's like an army of super people there. And do you know what, mate? It's fucking great because William Shatner is at his corniest when he delivers the ultimate '80s line, Khan. I don't say it too low. I've got people in the house. I won't wake them up, but but that's no justice. Hopefully, you'll spice it in now. Thank you. It was Malcolm McDowell. Malcolm McDowell, not Andy McDowell. But I, it would be a very different film. <laughs> it probably better. I think I'll start rewatching them then. But I was just cautious of how many I would need to watch to be able to have that conversation. Do you know what? I ignore the first one. The first one might be the most boring film alive. No, but I want to go back to the first two. You, to okay. See. Do you know what, listeners? Mark this time out. I told him not to. So when he starts fucking moaning about it, I can say, "Are you all right?" It's long and nothing happens in it. No. <laughs> it's um, not good. It's Khan. Khan. Well. Star Trek. Yeah, but then Star Trek in the 80s. You know, it was, it was when the franchise was still going strong. You know, Star Wars. It's science. Do you want maybe just like, oh no, it's K. So maybe we should just call it just sci-fi for S. We're on K. 
Hence why I had to lie and put Khan. <laughs> well, for, for me, I, I took the uh, the lesser option that you started with, and that was canine slash <laughs> buddy canine movies. Then I even put uh, Turner and Hooch why? in there. Why? Why did they? Why? In my head, there's a lot more dog police films out there. Yeah. Like, it's always me, you know, what was, you know, you know, buddy cop movies. I'd be like, yeah, Lethal Weapon. Yeah, but with an animal. Oh, yeah, with a dog. Yeah, there's loads of them in the 80s. There's kind of two that come to mind. Is that it? I thought it was loads. Well, that being said, I did come across this fucking peach earlier when I was <laughs> researching, um, what was his name? I dropped him earlier. James Tolkien, you know, yeah. bored guy. If you don't know who James Tolkien is, he's basically every authority figure in 70s, 80s, and 90s movies. Um, you know, he's a uh, He-Man, uh, Back to the Future, a whole bunch of movies. But... I stumbled across his IMDb and uh, and would you would you know it? There's a dog cop drama that he was in, a TV series called Tequila and Benetti. I fucking know it. Get this, get this. So this is, I had to screenshot this because I, I, I don't know why I found this as funny as what I did. Nick Benetti is a cop from New... Oh, sorry, this is the official blue. Yep. Nick Benetti is a cop from New York who accidentally shot a 12-year-old girl. <laughs> his department... And this is selling it to you. His department... Felt it would be best if he leaves New York until all the excitement dies down. <laughs> so, so, so he's sent to California, <laughs> and as far as he's concerned, it's like being sent to another planet. As far as the locals are concerned, he's an outsider. He's teamed up with a dog, <laughs> Tequila, who's not exactly Rin Tin Tin, but they can try and work it out as best they can. And I assume that ran for 29 series because it's the greatest it TV series of all time. at least a full series of 13 episodes. Keeler and, what was it? Uh, Benetti and... Keeler and Benetti. Yeah, he's not even the ti- He's not even the first name. The dog is first. I feel at, like least, at least Tom Hanks was first for Turner and Hooch. I feel like we genuinely need to do an episode on that. Tequila and Benetti. Like, I laughed out loud when I read that synopsis. I was like, that's fucking brilliant. Like, I think, do you want, mate? You had me in the first sign. In the first, the first sentence when he shot Tom Hanks. And he had to run away for the excitement. I, I, to I, I, I like the fact it's like, oh, she shot first, and shall we do an, an inquiry? No, send him to California. Just, just go to the other side of the of the, uh, of the country. I've actually got a date, mate. Um, yes, dog cop movies. For some reason, eighties loved them. Um, let's go on to L then. Do you know what I was thinking about? I didn't have any animation in this. I remember thinking, oh, the Little Mermaid was like a perfect animation at this time. And I remember, you know, the magic. We were kids. It sums up the eighties, like. 2D animation. Before animation came out, it was like the near perfect animation. And I thought, you know, well, fuck it, Lost Boys. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I read an interesting article on Little Mermaid this week that it was an exercise in fast filmmaking for animation. Oh, yeah. So oh, it's, the did- one, it's the one that Disney cut the time frame down from, uh, from start to finish and getting it in the cinema. So it was one of the revolutionary and pioneering new ways of mass getting out in mass. It doesn't show though, does it? It's, no, it's, it's I, very I, good. Exactly that point. Yeah, it's still a, a perf- perfect uh, animation. Lost Boys though, yeah. I mean, you it's, get more 80s than that. It's so 80s. I mean, there's a saxophone, there's naked men, there's a vampire. It's Keith Sutherland. Mm. <laughs> there's nothing more 80s than that. Um, you've got great, great rock music in it great soundtrack everything's screwed you've got Michael Schumacher mate you've got Joel Schumacher Michael was racing cars at that point wasn't he alright I, I mean valid point <laughs> you've got Joel Schumacher I'll tell you how you know it's 80s <laughs> it's got Alex Winter in it <laughs> fucker do you know what I spent all week trying to get into it Corey Feldman I just realised I didn't do it Corey Feldman yeah that's what I should have done for F fucker I'm, I've never been so angry before in my entire life mm. 
cuck. I nearly, I nearly did the other C word. Canadian. Mm. I nearly it, mate. Lost Boys is uh, what a pick. I'm actually I really pissed off, man. I'm going to talk to you right now. I can't believe I forgot a Corey Feldman. Anyway, 80s. Uh, Lost Boys. Now, I knew you were going to go Lost Boys, so I thought I'd go for something completely different. And just, again, if it's the 80s, one thing we've got to respect about the 80s is when it, the lack of love interests. There's something about 80s movies where if it wasn't integral to the storyline, they didn't put it in. So, you know, Terminator, it's integral. You need that because actually that was a great she plot She needs to reveal. have a baby. She needs to have a baby. You know, at the beginning of that movie, you don't think he is the father of the future son of, of the, the resistance. resistance. Yeah. Great twist when it happens. You're like, oh, fuck, that's why you were sent back. Brilliant. So it's integral to the storyline. But what I like for the most part is you don't put a love interest in in, a, in the 80s movies. It just gets in the way of the explosions, James. Yeah. All right? Yeah. I really fucking respect that. There was something in the 90s when the rom-com happened and, you know, certainly into the 2000s where it didn't matter what it was, for some reason you had to shoe on a bloody love storyline in there as well. And it just it just took up too much room. More explosions, please. So L, lack of love. Absolutely love it. Put it up there with Lost Boys. We just had a bit of love. Do you want M? It's the AEs. Why are we skating around the issue? It's Molly Ringwald. Mm, who only who only had a career in the eighties. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, you couldn't make an eighties you couldn't make an eighties film without Molly Ringwald. I'm just gonna insert that can opening sound effect that I use. <laughs> so something happened, not many people know this, but on the thirty first of December nineteen eighty nine a wizard put a curse on Molly Ringwald that she would never make films again. And it started on the 1st of January, 99. However, the 80s, you couldn't stop her. She was like, I've already used the COVID. What's around now? Nothing. Got nothing. She, Molly Ringwald was, you couldn't make a film without, especially John Hughes. John Hughes, obviously big, big fan of Molly Ringwald. Uh, growing up, you couldn't, every film about growing up, 16 Candles, about young love, about discovering who you are, um, in a breakfast club about, you know, making friendships in a breakfast club. Uh, everything that we learned from those films in the eighties, we, we, Molly Ringwald was a teacher to us, a guide, and she did a great job. Mm. So thank you, Molly Ringwald. I'm sorry. Hollywood doesn't remember that. Basically you grew up the current generation of Hollywood that runs Hollywood. They, you did that. Well done. Thank you, Molly Ringwald. I almost feel bad now for what I've put. You put Judd Nelson. Cause I also tried to get him in here as well. Cause he did nothing after the eighties. <laughs> Not not for M, no. Um, Mavericks. Not the film with Mark Gibson mm-hmm. or the TV series. You mean the sort of heroes that don't play by the rules but somehow get promoted? Exactly. <laughs> don't matter, cops to scientists, businessmen to students. It doesn't matter. You've got to be unorthodox. You've got to be a rebel. Rule book, James? What rule book? What rule book? You don't need a rule book, James. Because do you know what's really famous for the military complex is that they really respect people that don't follow rules. Because mm. why would they want a captain that follows the rules when there'll be a loose cannon and mm. a nuke like Cambodia? Why? why? I think the best thing about, you know, if a fighter pilot is, is being it, a maverick. Yeah. You know. What, what, what was there for? Why don't I understand about everyone who's... Who they're, they're idiots because then they go, why are you like this? His literal call sign is Maverick. It yeah. might as well have just been called Fuck You. <laughs> so, fuck you, come in. No, no, you know this plane that I don't technically own. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I it's want the, in it. It's the anti establishment, it's the outsider, the underdog, right, the anti hero, the reject. If they're the anti establishment, why do they join the fucking establishment? Exactly. Why, when, you get, when you get a guitar and go down a subway and, and fucking make some money that way, you Mate. useless prick. I think my favourite example, though, has got to be Riggs from Lethal Weapon. <laughs> Which they do link in, uh, you know, the, obviously the PTSD storyline, yeah. Vietnam uh, war vet gets a job as a, as a police detective, doesn't go by the book, certainly a maverick. You know, his yeah. way of bringing down sort of a jumper is to jump with him. So what, what, what's really good and works in the Lethal Weapon storyline is is that 
is that they don't care. They don't believe him. And then mm. when he throws himself off a building, no one goes, well, fuck me, he was right. <laughs> it's like, maybe we should, you know, sit him down, talk to him. No, they just let him carry on. Just Do like, you want to jump? <laughs> Do you? <laughs> so he leaves. So they, they go, oh, he's probably just faking it for the psych, for the psych pension. Mm. And then he jumps off a building and then no one goes, well, maybe he is a psychic. Then they just like, fucking ignore it. He's got sequels I, to make, print that money. I don't know what, I don't know what Danny Glover's fucking problem is in that when he and what automatically like takes him into that, like why derelict it, building. Why does he take him into like a shop that yeah. he doesn't buy anything? There's people in there. It just doesn't no, go. No, it's, it's like a torn down, like yeah. uh, everything's ripped out of it, but the door's open for some reason, but they go in there and he's like, get in here. And he's like, you know, and they, he does the whole, you know, like I've got a bullet with my name on it bit, which is fucking intense. It's Mel Gibson in the eighties. But, what the film certainly lost. Oh, no, sorry, my point with that, sorry, was Danny, Danny Glover, sorry, in that movie. At the end of the day, they both got what they wanted. He got him down and the guy got to jump. Yeah. It's a kind of win-win situation. That's how you should write it in your report. Yeah. But Maverick doesn't, uh, not Maverick, sorry. He doesn't, Riggs doesn't Riggs. strike me as well, doesn't do it, actually do paperwork though. Oh no, no, he shoots the rule book and he shoots the report book. <laughs> and then someone asks him, well, why have you done that? <laughs> do you have any idea how much, it takes ages to get one of them by sent the by. One, he's not a lethal weapon anymore. He's completely he's, diluted He's a mild man. <laughs> yeah, he's just slightly sometimes angry, but good reason because someone's shooting at him, man. He's, and he, also slightly racist. <laughs> he's, he's a little weird. Oh, you're talking about the character? <laughs> I never understood how Reese thought he was going to get married and grow a child and, and you know, raise a child. In grow such a child. In such a fucking tiny, tiny, like, building. Like, what a fucking bullshit place. Although, speaking of poo, spoofs. <laughs> the, uh, the spoof of, uh, is it Loaded Weapon? Yeah, yeah, Samuel yeah. Jackson and... Emilio Westerves. Yeah. Is the great scene when they go to shoot up, uh, shoot up kind of like a Riggs house a rig style house and Bruce Willis is in it. He's, like, he's over there. That's a fucking great cameo joke. Um, the Maverick, mate. The the 80s was filthy full of Mavericks. Do you know what? That's good, mate. But N, which I originally had naked gun, but I don't want to have too many spoofs in it, so I'll take it out and I'll go with my original choice. The real hero of the 80s and growing up, because when I say 80s, the 80s are films that, you know, helped me grow up. You, you talk about explosions, you talk about mavericks. Well, I think in the world that we live in, there's nothing more maverick or again going against the rules than a child that reads the never-ending story. <laughs> Mate. <laughs> Mate, it's like someone took my brain, gave it a budget, and stuck it on the big screen. I fucking loved that, and I really liked The Queen. I think I had a bit of a crush on her. No. Uh, but the never-ending story is phenomenal. Did you get married in your dreams? No, I, I think we're quite mundane, actually. I think we played, like, chess. Oh. Red. <laughs> you read together. Mate, a book within a book, Inception. <laughs> uh, the Never Ending Story was a fantastic story growing up. It's the 70s. It's, again, what I mentioned earlier, it's the fantasy element with... We we kind of do it now, but this is the difference between an 80s fantasy and what we have now, is a child explores the, this imaginary world with these characters that are large enough, like, like a giant rock monster or a, a Chinese... Uh, Furry dragon that, you know, I can't remember any of the names. I apologise. Is that what Falcor was? Falcor, yeah. I believe it is. A furry dragon. He was a, he's a dragon from Chinese ancestry. And I believe it, there is a, an actual term for him. I don't remember what it was though. He was supposed to be a ter- certain type of dragon. The rock monster who absolutely ruined in the late films. But you know what, mate? Nowadays, kids are like, oh, you get, you pick a random number and then you have to fight to the death. Just like, oh, maybe, maybe have a reading competition or something like that. It's just, that was the difference. Or an arm wrestle. We didn't need, you know, who's the villain in The never-ending Story? It's television. 
Yeah, I'll take your word for it. It's been years since I watched oh, it's, it. It's television. It's, it's, it's the darkness. It's because there's no imagination. TV tells you what to think. You just It's like a brainwashing machine. So in the world of imagination, TV's a killer. And with kids watching TV, it, it's draining, it's killing life force. And you know what? As a kid, that's a powerful message. You know what? Fuck you. The never ending story. I think I wrote off never ending story because I wasn't a fan of Labyrinth and the two looked shockingly similar. And the first never ending story is brilliant. The second one, not so good. The third one where Jack Black's a villain. Yeah. He is. Jack Black is, isn't it? In I the do, third one. Oh, I the third one. piece of trivia. Do you know what's really weird as well? The storyline doesn't change between series, uh, between second and third one. They're all the same, except for in the third one. You know the rock monster who's so cool in the first one? Yeah, he's got a kid and a house and he, he's got a TV that somehow runs on electricity. In, and I'm not joking it. Do you remember the first story of the villainous TV? If you... Jesus, absolute Jesus. The never ending story should have ended at one. <laughs> well, the never ending story. We should do a podcast on that soon because I haven't seen that film in easily. As long as it's just the one. Easily 15 years. I don't want to do, I don't want to do no, the no, second, just the first one. one. Well, maybe third one. Jack Black. Uh, all right. And for me, uh, it just kept it nice and simple again. For me, the 80s, looking back on it, the palette of the 80s, neon. Ooh, you're it's quite like, proud of yourself right now, aren't you? It's like someone discovered neon in the 80s and put it everywhere. It didn't matter whether you was at church, the shopping mall, um, in the arcades, walking across the beachfront or describing a futuristic skyscraper, uh, skyline. Neon lights were big in the 80s. It was like, fuck it, put everything in neon. It's kind of like the Punisher Warzone movie where everything was in neon. Um People yeah. won't believe you if it's not a neon. It was more for me the aesthetics of the eighties. You know, I wanted my list to be, you know, actors and and um, you know styles and and themes. And for me, aesthetics were a big one. Eighties had a palette to them. You had a good eight there as well. Arcades. You remember arcades were like they're never here now. I couldn't take out action heroes for arcades. Yeah, that's but- true. I don't know, maybe I've got a better one for V. Well, you say that, but literally there's an arcade opening about 100 metres away from my house. It won't be the same though, won't it? will be 80s. It how, will. How, much, how much neon will be in it? Loads. Right. The sign is neon. Anyone signs neon. Oh, yeah. Your band signs are neon. Is it? Well, we did that. We did try and get a neon okay. sign, yeah. Um, oh, so you have kind of mentioned this one earlier. I'm outside the box of mine, so I hope yours is good. Mine's really bad. Oh. I did the film, the backup, in case, in case we were only just doing films, is Officer and a Gentleman, but I don't want that. You don't want Richard Gere on your list. It's when your hero is ogling them ladies. <laughs> <laughs> so it's when, it's when in the middle of an action scene, in the 80s, your action hero will just stop to talk to a lady mm. or, or treat them like dirt and then get away with it. Or when you're in Nakatomi Plaza <laughs> and you're getting shot at and you just look across the way and naked lady, why you, not? You've always got time just to stroke a pair of boobs. Yeah, so it's when them ogling them ladies... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when we talk about 80s with such, uh, you know, lust and and, and fondness, it, it, I mean, they weren't perfect, let's not be oh, honest. Oh, no. You know? But these are all awful, yeah. Yeah, and, and certainly for, you know, certain characters, particularly female characters in these, it was, you know, certainly not progressive. Oh, God, no. And it's good that a film has come on such a long way. It's just a hallmark of the 80s. Yeah, yeah, it is certainly one of the it's, one of the blemishes. Uh, it's up there with action heroes and cocaine. You mm. cannot get away with it. For me, I put... Uh, but oh, only a scratch. Your suit, your your hero can survive anything, James. Um, that's good. A building can fall on you. It's just a scratch. Bullets bounce off people. Bombs, car crashes. It doesn't matter. Aliens doesn't matter. Nothing can kill an '80s star. They will survive to the end of the film. It's very shocking if a hero died in an '80s movie. <laughs> There's only one thing that can kill an '80s hero. Cocaine. That's, that's the '90s. <laughs> <laughs> So I yeah, should have saved that joke. <laughs> I'm, uh, I, I'm going, I'm going for me only a scratch. I wanted to put this. I was trying to find a way to put it in, like invincible or 
you know, unbreakable. I was trying to, it, it was for me, it was certainly a hallmark stamp of 80s movies is that they come out bloody bruised and, and war torn, but never, very rarely dead. Unless it's a war movie. I'm Made sure. as a cracker. And do you know what? That only increased as well. It got to the ridiculous point, like the 90s, where it became even an inside joke in like Last Action Hero. Mm. It's only a scratch. Why have you called me? Mm. Because he gets shot in the art. Yes. That's Jesse Ventura, mate. Fucking, I got time to bleed. They're too uh, hard. They're too hard, these people. They're men's men's. Yeah. Men's 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 men's. They were so menly, they were men. Mm. Mm. P. No, thank you. I've already been. July the 1st, 984, PG rating. Came out. That's my P is the PG rating, the birth of the PG rating. I'm not going to say anything because later something might pop up. <laughs> So uh, it's very similar. To so that. because of the eighties and, and basically because of the amount of cocaine mm. <laughs> movies <laughs> action in it, they had to bring out for films like Ghostbusters, uh, Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones. They had to come up with a new, a new rating. And do you know what? God bless the PG because yeah. thanks to that, I got to see some very questionable things as a child. Thank you, eighties. And, it, and does, it is fascinating isn't it, that for the longest time it was PG fifteen, you know, PGR. You know, mm. the twelve came along much later. Fucking love the PG. So uh, you know what? We've got lots to thank. A lot of eighties films. I wouldn't have been able to watch. Well, it would have been harder to watch mm. because if they would have been the fifteen. But I'm talking. I'm talking like Ghostbusters. I mean, for me, when I wrote this list for P, you know, straight along the line of pop culture, just because you know, that is where a lot of pop culture originates from. But I couldn't really, couldn't really articulate it. I was thinking product placement again, big in the eighties. Marketing started to find its way into films. You know, you start finding that your hero wore Nike trainers or whatever it was as product placement. Are you a Burger King? Yeah, those kind of things. But for me, then I thought, actually, going back to what you've already talked about with practical effects, for P for me, puppets. Oh, nice. I love puppets. Except for Labyrinth. Not, not Labyrinth is the exception to the rule. <laughs> it's always in brackets for all of these. Yeah. Not, not, not Labyrinth. Labyrinth. But, you know, Dark Crystal, Yoda, The Thing, Gremlins, E.T., all of these movies, the puppeteers and the craftsmanship of, of puppets. I love now going back and seeing him and you know you can almost see the person's hand operating the puppet I don't fucking care no. I love it love it I love it I love it that a group of adults were like this will fool people and it <sighs> didn't but no one cared it was fine so P fucking puppets no I'd love it <clears throat> Q obviously notoriously a very hard one to do I hope we've got a good one easy man Queen Z music from the hit film Highlander Queen 1986 <laughs> soundtrack to Highlander <laughs> <laughs> There's always one that we always that we instantly get away. Let, let's let's be honest. Let's be honest. Out of that movie, after the Kurgan and horse penis, <laughs> then you were pretty much in Queen Queen territory. Yeah, Queen. Christopher Lambert's he's in the top ten of that oh, movie. Yeah. yeah, but so is Queen. And yeah, it's better. It's just just Queen. I, I'm so glad that we both got that. Yeah, it's got to be Q, isn't it? Oh, oh. We... I could have had Robocop. Could have had Raging Bull. Could have had Raising Arizona. But do you know what, mate? We talked about it last week. It was the height of the Cold War. Only one film could end it. Rocky Four. It was Rocky Four. Do you know what? We talked about it last week. I went back and rewatched it again twice this week. I adore Rocky Four. It's all 80s. Russians versus the Americans. You've got weightlifting. <laughs> An action star. Getting buff. Getting, you know, questionable. Taking on the bad guy. There's nothing more 80s than Rocky Four. Rocky Four. Actually, there's one more thing... More eighties than Rocky Four, and it's coming up in a second. Well, I won't, I won't hold us on. But for me, our was uh, Rick Moranis. Oh, do you want a good shout? 
Imagine yeah. him in Rocky Four. <laughs> Ghostbusters, Bruce's Millions, Little Shop of Horror, Spaceballs, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Had a slew of acting roles, obviously, in the 90s, voice acting as well, and there is the uh, the promise of his return. But um, following the the tragic passing of his wife, where he re- retired from kind of the mainstream, yeah. really at the time when he was fucking owning it, like he was the guy in comedy, um, took to, who stepped away from the, the spotlight to raise his two kids. Uh, so honorable mention as well to Rick Moranis, what a chap. But his movies are... Oh, I mean, the second you see Rick Moranis, you're like, I'm in an 80s movie. It's got to be, surely. It's going to be one of them big movies. We talked about Ghostbusters uh, two weeks ago. One of my firm favourites, Rick Moranis. I loved uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids as I well. Loved I loved that whole franchise, even the weaker ones. But I only, I only saw them after the first one. I know it's Honey, I Blew Up the Baby, but I didn't no, watch honey, it. Honey, I Shrunk Blew the kids. Up the Baby. Shrunk, shrunk the Kids. His first blew one. Up, blew Up the Kids. I don't see no one. And then Honey, I Shrunk Ourselves. Yeah. No, I've only seen the first one. Mm. The original. The best one. When it had integrity. Before it sold out to Burger King. Uh, big ones now. Two big ones off the bat. S. Spaceballs, maybe. See no evil, hear no evil. Fuck it, mate. Even throwing a bit of splash. However, there's nothing more 80s than nuclear weapons. <laughs> so that means, technically, there's there's no more 80s than Superman for the quest for peace. <laughs> When Superman just kidnaps all the nuclear weapons, throws them into the sun, gives birth to nuclear man. Yep. That happens. Do you not know science? Mate, this is a, this is this is pure A's because it's so this celebrates the badness of A's. Is that could, actually how nuclear man forms? Right, so Superman gets angry and starts because a kid writes him a letter, don't get me started. He says, Can you destroy the nuclear weapons? And Superman decides. So they start Launching their weapons mm. with Russia and America to try and kill each other. Uh, uh, during this, <laughs> during this, uh, Lex Luthor s- s- goes into a nuclear base, as you would, puts a bit of uh, Superman's DNA because he goes to a museum. And do you remember the scene where the hair's like holding a holding a giant weight mm. and he uses bolt cores to cut it? So it's indestructible unless you've got bolt cores. <laughs> he puts on the nuclear weapon and then the nuclear weapon gets sent into space. Superman hijacks it, throws all of them into the sun, and uh, for the scientists out there, uh, nuclear weapons plus sun. S- plus sun plus Superman's hair equals nuclear man. <laughs> Don't question it. Don't question there it. There should have been a big wink at the screen. When that, just, just, just someone just went, Shh, don't question it. Just go, let's but, go um, with this. But, but, but that's not even the best thing is the voice acting is by Lex, is by uh, Gene Hackman. So Gene Hackman has a conversation with himself because he's the voice of nuclear man. What I love about this is well, it's like <laughs> what Superman 1 did for the green screen and for special oh, effects. This is what I mean. This, this, this four took it all away. Yeah. This is this is a celebration of the worst. But what I really like about it as well is that Russia and America are perfectly fine being defenseless. <laughs> they, they're perfectly happy with some knob stealing their weapons and throwing them into the spot. Nuclear man. Should have had him for any. <laughs> Fuck me on. Nuclear man any day. But I do you know what? Superman 4, Quest for Peace. If you haven't seen it recently, you fucking get it out. It's brilliant. So there were two, there was a toss-up. Slashers was going to be my first one. You can't talk about the 80s without the 80s slasher. Yes, horror was defined in other genres, particularly the 70s, but you know, the, the hammer horrors from before that. Horror has been around as long as film has been around. But there was something about the 80s turning it into slasher, which has a lot of the other things we've talked about in this, including cocaine and boobies. But there is something about, you know, what Halloween did at the end of the 70s, giving way to your big killer franchises, uh, your Nightmare on Elm Street, your Jason movies, your Friday 13th. 
there was something about exploitation movies and the slashes that are so iconic, you know, and, and it, it really, I, I liked American Horror Story, the first like four seasons, probably five, actually to be fair, probably longer than that. I thought Roanoke, that series was good. But when they did the slasher series, the 80s slasher series, I, it just felt really cheap and it, it didn't feel like a love letter to the 80s and the, yeah. and the slasher. It felt more like a kind of parody joke. And I actually turned it off and I stopped watching it since then. Um, but to me, yeah, there's something about them slashers. But last minute, I had this epiphany. I said, what am I thinking about? This should have been the first thing I ever wrote on this list. And that's the fucking soundtrack. Yeah. The soundtrack defined in the, in the 80s. Because, and again, you listen to this, you'll be like, yeah, well, these movies in the 70s had killer soundtracks. You know, you think about a lot of the kind of the, the soul music in movies of the 60s and 70s. Yeah, but what the 80s did, and Highlander was a good example, is that you could mismatch a film with music that made no sense, yep. but it was product placement. And then it becomes absolutely iconic and defined the two and one. Yeah, Rocky's a good example of that, Rocky Four. But, you know, you could have simps and power ballads and rock and saxophone solos. It didn't fucking matter. You put whatever you wanted in it. Anything was cool. Um, the title track, uh, sorry, the, one of the main hits would be named after the film. You get artists that would do the whole soundtrack. I'm mean, Dirty Dancing, Footloose, Back to the Future, Beverly Hills Cop, most of Top Gun. Um, <laughs> Batman, Lost Boys, Rocky Four are all great examples of movies in the 80s that had fucking epic soundtracks that, that make you think of the movie when you're listening to it, which is the best thing a soundtrack can do but can also be listened completely independently. Huey Lewis and News, mate. I'll put on any day of the week, any time. It doesn't matter. For me, S, the soundtrack. That was a good shout. And I already celebrated as well. Throughout, you, you're a big music man. Mm. Inspired you. Do you remember Do you remember those songs growing up? Mm. They were awesome, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. At the point, my next, my T, is, is, it heavily lies into that and several things you've already said. It's Top Gun. And the reason I say Top Gun, I actually don't like Top Gun. However, it was that style of making. It was, it was, it was grand. It's like these massive power ballads of like slow motion sex, like in the breeziest room in the fucking world with like paper thin silk curtains, which I imagine can't keep this one out. <laughs> so they're pointless. A maverick, you know, the story of someone who can't play by the rules, but getting everything they want, you know, killing his best friend, no repercussions. Top Gun is like the personification of everything I hated about these films. Top, but they were a celebration. Top Gun did this thing where it felt like it was trying too hard. Yeah. You've got Tom Cruise, he fights a, Fucking, he flies, sorry, a fighter jet. He's a maverick. He doesn't play by the rules. He, he wears a leather jacket, sunglasses, motorbike. It's yeah. like, we get it. He's cool. Yeah. But what I don't understand is he kills his best friend and he's still a good guy. It's like, you're an arsehole. You're mm. to blame for this. Val Kilmer, mate, MVP. And I just think, <clears throat> Top Gun's everything. It, it personifies a lot of this. But I'll never forget that. That's it just the scenes like, they're all cringeworthy. Like when he sings to her at a bar to get a number, it's just like, oh, you won't do that now. Mm. What you do is you swipe right. <laughs> That's what you do. I hate that song, Take My Breath Away. I know you is. do. I, I didn't want to mention it. I can't stand that song. That's why I said most of the Top Gun yeah. Um But that was a song I was talking about and you know I was. Yeah. Similar though with that, I went with a film for T and I went with The Terminator. Oh, great. We talked about it a couple of weeks back with Arnold Schwarzenegger's, uh, although not the film I would pick from Arnold Schwarzenegger's filmography is the one I would take to a desert island, but certainly the one I think I respect the most out of his filmography. Love T2, love all these other movies that he's done, but The Terminator is everything I love about the 80s. Action sci-fi blended perfectly hand in hand. Great villain, great vi uh, heroes, characters that have depth and meaning and a storyline and a purpose. Synth soundtrack, stop motion animation in there as well. You've got the nightclubs, the big hair, 
product placement. It's all in it. It's fucking filthy, mate. It's eighties. Filth. It is, and, and there is a element of dirt and grime to the movie when you watch it. It's that yeah. time we talk about this all the time. Like I really eighties like movies when dirt cities were dirty. I like. Do you know when he first comes comes out and he just approaches Bill Paxton and mm. the two other guys? They're they're eighties. They're eighties villains. They're eighties. Yeah. They're eighties hanging around outside because no one does that now. Yeah, the observation point. Like messing about with a skeleton, with a telescope. Oh, there are. Yeah, and it's like... (laughs) What a bunch of dicks. And and it's funny, isn't it? It's like, it's one of my gripes and it's going to come up in a movie that we're going to talk about next week. But one of my gripes in films is like, is is music. So the punks in that scene that I don't, I hate it when a villain or someone who's up to no good or someone who's, you know, a bully or whatever dresses like a punk or a rocker yep. it's you know oh because if you listen to that music you must be a bad guy you know it's like you know that transfers into things like Sid in Toy Story you know it's like he's got a skull in his t-shirt he listens to heavy music in his bedroom oh you must be a bad guy and I really because people that listen to it from my experience people that play in and uh, are in metal bands and stuff like that from experience of playing music and doing gigs are the nicest fucking people you'll ever meet so loyal and friendly and it's always portrayed, you know, like the Trolls movie, like when it, the World Tour one, it's like, who's the villain? The Rock one. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, we get it. Just because they fucking use the rock hands, the, the the devil horns or whatever is like the rock symbol. It's all of a sudden associated with like villain or, or bad, you know, or evil or whatever it is. And that's a real misservice, I think, sometimes. And but, but this, going back to the 80s with Bill Paxton's character in that, it's like, it's just that opening movie, like, okay, so it's on Schwarzenegger, he's fucking jacked up, he's massive, he's naked, he's walking at Bill Paxton and the and the other guys dressed like punks and he rips the fucking heart out of one of them. What a... Yeah, villain, what, villain. what I love about that is he's walking up to him and Bill Paxton thinks he can take him. It's, <laughs> it's like, weird, isn't it? It's like, have I, you fucking seen I don't him? know if I've ever been approached by a naked man <laughs> and thought, I'm going to engage in a conversation. Nice night for a walk. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, he will fucking kill you. Yeah, look at the size of him. <laughs> you like, look fucking... at the size of him. I would ask where his clothes are whilst running because he's probably not into that much cardio. Mate, if he was looking at me and then was like walking towards me, I'd probably already be half naked assuming that he's going to take my clothes. Yeah. <laughs> Assuming that they would fit, because once again, Swarsley is massive. Always got me about Terminator Two as well. The, the the clothes that he takes off that dude is like you're not the same size as Swarsley. Like maybe size. Yeah. All right. What are we on? You. You. Oh, I'm not happy about this one. Go on then. I originally had the Untouchables, but I really don't like the Untouchables. So I changed it, and I remember we do you know what the eighties were. The eighties were a time when we celebrated the jock over the geek. So do you know what we had? We had Uber geeks. Yeah, we had like profit. Like that, when you think of geeks, get that image in your head: spots, glasses, braces, <laughs> bow ties. Dial it up more, more spots, more. That's what we had in the eighties, and uh, they were the best friend of the main hero, and they still didn't get the girl. Mm. <laughs> geeks were just geeks. All, all characters were geeks. were amped up, weren't they? You, you know, like, don't fill into Uber. Yeah, you, you, you know, your your love interest is a cheerleader. Where's a cheerleading outfit when they're not cheerleading? Yeah, the bullies, you know, were, like as I just said, in in their kind of like metal outfits, de- denim with the sleeves cut off. Every character was characterized and caricatured, just dialed up to fucking twelve, wasn't it? So the the person at the back of the cinema is like, oh my god, he's it. a geek. <laughs> oh yeah, I got that. Thank you. Thank you. I think you even had Revenge of the Geeks was 1983. Mm. So that counts. Uber geeks, I've cheered. Well, I have as well because it follows that very similar theme. I was trying to get this next one in at various points and I had to keep taking it out of other letters to replace it, finding its place finally on you. 
And that is a united group of people, James. Oh. A united group of like-minded people. <gasps> what I mean is the pack, the group, the uh, the team. The United Federation of Planets from Star Trek. That's very good, mate. Very good. I'm thinking more people, James. I'm thinking the Breakfast Club. I'm thinking the outside of St. Elmer's Fire, Goonies, It, Stand By Me. It's the banding together of people that are maybe thrust into a situation. Stand By Me is probably the big example of this when I think of 80s. Yeah, in Star Trek 2, two crews are forced together there you go. to fight Khan. Almost, it's, it's so in sync. Yeah, it is so I, in it, sync. Was that, that was, uh, Star Trek 2 sent Elmo's fire, was it? <laughs> yes. So, like... I believe it was Breakfast Clubs. <laughs> but to me, there was something about that group of people over a summer or over a weekend, riding their bikes out into a field, finding a dead body or whatever it was that they were doing. Kids being kids, exploring you know, before technology, internet, TV and films and all those things that would take people away from that innocence. And and it was a vehicle. It was a metaphor for coming of age, those, those films. And I, I love it. I just, you know, Stan Army is probably the big example of that, you know, of a group of, a group of people just on an adventure. And I love it when films replicate that, that super eight movie that just kind of really capture that stranger things capturing that yeah. very essence of being a kid in the 80s and doing what adults can't do, which I've already talked about at the beginning of this episode, as a trope that gets away with it in the 80s, but fucking doesn't anymore. Absolutely. Your list is very good. I went more of the movie wrote, you more went for the abstract of what tickles your senses. Mm. V. We, we've got to get the same one there, surely. Oh. Uh, well, who's your favourite villain of all time in movies? Well, it's probably Vader. I haven't put Vader. No, no, I haven't put Vader. I'm just saying. So you Vader. Mm. So from Star Wars franchise. Mm. I mean, I quite liked. Uh, uh, oh fuck! Okay. Diehard villain. Hans Gruber. Hans Gruber. I was a big fan of them. No one's really better than the Kurgan. Mm. I mean, I always liked Ivan Drago as a villain as well. Wait a minute. They all share one thing in common. Eighties best thing they ever did. They had the best villains. Yeah. I've got 80s villains, top notch, top dollar. I put, I put villain, yeah. Villain uh, for V. They just the better. Mm. The, the, the 80s had a better better profile, a better better standard of villain. They were dickish, but right from the start, you knew they were going to get their comeuppance. Yeah, like we talked with Batman uh, at the beginning there, Batman the Joker a few episodes ago. Absolutely phenomenal. He shaved this, the same decade as what we just mentioned, like the Kurgan. They're all different villains and they're always best. And I find that films now are always trying to replicate villains from then. Mm. The 90s, we were, because in the 90s, the action was it was just like, who could shoot more? It was back in, Hans Gruber wasn't about the guns. It was about the planning. Vader was about the force. Ivan Drago was about breaking people. Mm. You know, it's, it's fucking, mate. I love villains from the 80s. And I went one further by specifying villains they were always not from the USA. Accents meant villain. Yep. I think at this point as well, I think in the 80s, we've got to remember that enemies and villains weren't exclusive to the Middle East. Like as I see nowadays, your villain could come from Europe. Yep. You know, could come from China. Ooh. They, your villain could come from anywhere outside the US. I was just saying, but they can't come from the US though, right? Yeah. No. Never Canada, obviously. Obviously. But um, No one would believe it. <laughs> but yeah, it was... It was you know, anyone with an accent, yeah, that person's probably a villain. Villains? I'm not happy about my W. And we have done an episode on our favourite villains as well, so do go And it back didn't and have enough 80s villains, in it? It probably didn't, actually, in hindsight, did it? I mean, Skeletor being the fucking big one. Fucking more Skeletor. My W, I don't like him, but he's in my list now, Broderick. Because there's a film that came out in the 80s that was so 80s. 
it's about, a, this, this could only ever happen in the 80s. A kid breaks into a defence missile system with an AI and decides what he thinks he's playing a video game when in reality he's tactical nuclear war with Russia. Talking about the film War Games when <laughs> it's so bullshit. It's just Mate, we, we, it's so bollocks. It, and at the end, he, he gets the AI to play himself. So it's like, so it's the, the AI, but no one wins in a nuclear war. It's like tic-tac-toe, which is mm. a point the film makes. It can't win. Would you like to play a game? <laughs> Wait, hold on. What, was, that the, was that the chessboard in the thing? They should not be. <laughs> uh, but, but this has got everything. It's got giant computer, which makes nothing. Nuclear Holocaust, Matthew Broderick. Everything we hated from the 80s is in this film. It's such bullshit. I don't know if Elizabeth Shue was in it. Probably it's the 80s. It was the 80s. It's a celebration of bollocks. Do you know what? It's Despite my hatred of Matthew Broderick, and there's a very good reason why, because he's a prick, um, I do like war games. I, I do like war games. It's a fun celebration of everything that's a bit bollocks. War games. For my W, keeping on the theme of what makes an 80s movie rather than picking an 80s movie, um, The Wingman. Well, everyone's got a wingman. Yeah, I mean, Goose, obviously, from, from Top Gun, but... You know, the sidekicks, the man in the chair, the person that helps the hero do the doing, the wingman, often takes the bullet as well for the for Well, obviously, because Tom Cruise isn't going to take one, is he? No, no. Um, so, uh, Al Powell is a big one, you know, diehards. Um, you know, short round, short circuit. You know, all these kind of characters. If you have a henchman, you need a sidekick, you need a wingman. Wingman? Wingman. It's a good shout. I really I, like I, that. You started watching Invincibles, haven't you, the animated show? On. Yeah, I think I'm ahead of you now. I've watched them all. Oh, I've seen them all. So have you noticed how the school in it is, um, what's it, the the school that's uh, Reginald Val Johnson's school? Yeah, he's in it. And he plays the yeah, principal, plays in principal. It. I was I was going to message you that, but I didn't want to ruin it. Yeah. You. No, because, no, yeah. Because then he shows up later. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so good. So good. Um, what I love about it is all the, all the voice actors. I did recognize them from The Walking Dead. Like he told me, I was like, oh, that's brilliant. Mm. And then, you know. Yeah. Do you know what? I fucking, I don't want to talk about this too much. I, I cheated. I had to go with films that started. With I, I couldn't make him make. I was trying to think of X-rays in films. I don't remember them being a thing. Fuck it, Xanadu. <laughs> the fucking musical with Gene Kelly. Gene Kelly, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. Just because. Just because it's days. And it's just, I don't want to talk. Move on. Well, you went PG for P. Yeah. So for X, I went X-rated. Ooh. Because of copious amounts of blood, death, swearing, drugs, and sex... BBFC introduced the 18 certificate Ooh. on November 1st, 1982. Oh, mate. Oh, we've, I got Fiji and you got X-rated. There you go. Why? So I probably picked my favourite Rat Pack movie. It's got Emilio Estevez in it. It's got... Uh, yeah, yeah we've got, got, oh, we got, 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 yeah. we got the same. Oh, we've got Young Guns. Emilio Estevez, Charlie Sheen, Lou Diamond Phillips... Terence Stamp and someone I thought was going to make Jack Palance is in it, who I thought was going to make an Fuck appearance. Fuck off, Jack Palance! I thought he was going to make an appearance somewhere on this as a villain. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, Young Guns. I never really saw the sequel. They all die in the sequel. Yeah, I yeah, I read an again. I read an article on that one as well. I can't remember. I it was something about so that they couldn't do a third. Or oh, something. good. Um, it was it was that second one was a mess, but that first one I was cracking. First I was brilliant. That. Yeah. Also, we got very hard to do EY. There's only one letter harder than Y, mate. I, I also got to watch Young Guns at some point. What a film. It was a cracking film. Again, very similar to, um, you were talking about E.T., about a love letter to the Western. Yeah. But also kind of 
guiding the films going forward, you know. And I remember it was one of the early films I saw. I remember when the good guy was an arsehole. I think mm. Keith Sutherland is a proper dick. Yeah. Like, I think Emilio is supposed to be like the straight laced, you know, the well, good he's one. Billy the Kid, isn't he? Oh, he's Billy the Kid. All yeah. I remember is, is Keith Sutherland is like kind of off his rock. I remember not liking Keith Sutherland, but then at the end, you're like, oh, don't die. But Keith Sutherland always was the anti hero, yeah. wasn't he? He's, yeah. More Keith Sutherland. With a mullet, please. Oh, yes. And a single tear. Just a single tear. Which was not acting because <laughs> his contact lens was in too tight. Thanks. That's genuinely true. <laughs> I know it's you you told me every time. Oh. What did you get for Zay? Because this is my this is a cop out. Zany body swap type of film. I do you know what I'm gonna give you that though, because because that yeah, that I might was keep something. To, I might keep it to zany zany storylines where mm. there was a mermaid, deal with it. Mm. <laughs> oh, uh, this kid is now Tom Tom Hanks, deal with it. Yeah. Oh, they've swapped bodies, uh Vi- uh, vice versa, one of them's Judge Reinhold, the other one's the kid from Boy Boy Meets World. <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> Just all of this fucking when when they ran out of idea, body swap film. Fuck it. Don't really they don't work now. But in the eighties, every year or so, release another <laughs> into the atmosphere. Zany body swap movies. I like it. Thanks, mate. Is yours worse than mine? Uh, but yeah. yeah okay. Probably, probably. You haven't come up with one yet, have you? No, I have. Yeah. All right, hit me. Uh, you know, so yeah, just on the A to Z, haven't we? Yep. Just, yep. <laughs> <Get> said. <clears throat> Zach Efron, born 18th of December, 1987. <laughs> anyway, so that is how, <laughs> that's our A to Z list. Um, do let us know what you came up with, if we got any wrong, or if you would challenge us, uh, who got the better list, any of those kind of things. Just always reach out to us, let us know, because these episodes are fun to do, but they're even better when people engage. I, I enjoyed that one. That's the 80s. That is a love letter. We we do have a uh, an attraction to the 80s for all the right and wrong reasons. Um, I'm so glad we have got Queen music. Oh, yes, guaranteed, wasn't it? The second you do one of these lists, you think, how do I get Queen into Q? Because it's, you know. What was um, your favourite one from your list? What, which one were you proud of? What what are these that I did like, that I like the most? Yeah. Um, we're, still, we're doing highlights now with the episode we've just listened to. Yeah, it's, it's hard. I, I think... I think ultimately what defines the 80s is the villain. Yeah, it is. However, Superman 4 quest for face. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, Nuclear Man. Because I can't wait to do that film. It'll be worth doing 1, 2 and 3 just so the I can get to The only downside is I've got to rewatch it. <laughs> <laughs> that is the only downside to doing that movie. Mate, do you know what? You know, after our summer, our summer, our summer bonanza that's coming, the big episode, mm. I think the next one we should build to is Superman 4. <laughs> we'll do a live episode where we'll get people to watch it with us. Yes, Superman 4. And I've just teased something for for summer. It's coming. Well, on that bombshell, let's call it there. Uh, this is our episode. This is episode 141, the A to Z of the 80s. Do reach out. Let us know if you liked it. Next week, God knows, we'll figure something out. We've got seven days. Yeah, it'll be fun. But we will talk about sound and metal. Yeah, we will. All right, James. Uh, I'll see you later. Good afternoon, good evening, good night. Goodbye. <laughs>